Good morning. That was pretty good. That was nice. So I'm very excited to be here this morning. I'm going to try to turn around and look at you guys too, okay? Because I, I don't know, it's more fun for me when I'm standing up here like all by myself to be able to look at your beautiful faces and your eyes. So I hope that's okay if I keep moving around and looking at you all. So um, I, in studying for this message, I really, really love, I have become so passionate about all the things that I have studied, okay? It may be a little bit unusual, perhaps, all right? But I am very excited about it, and I hope that you guys can hang in there with me. And this whole service so far has also just really built up to this moment so beautifully, even to the banner that we have here, up here. So just just think about all the different pieces that we've all experienced together so far. And this is just another piece of this moment as we continue to move throughout this morning together. And I want to start by saying something that, that we've heard a couple of times already, which is that we are still in the season of Easter, right? Our church, our church spiritual ancestors did a fabulous job of creating this church calendar for us. They really did. And I think they were brilliant to create a season of Easter, not just one day, right, to celebrate this huge thing, but a whole season. And I think they did that. They gave us like this period of 50 days post-Easter Sunday. And I think they did that because they knew that we humans would need at least 50 days. Most of us need more to try to really begin to grasp what it is that we celebrated last Sunday. Resurrection. A huge miracle. We would need at least 50 days to try to understand the idea that death may not be final. That life may be the product of death. And so, although Easter Sunday is a glorious day, right, of new clothes and special food and special things that we do, I think that we would be neglectful if we just kept on moving through this season of Easter without being aware and being intentional about bringing death along with us, right? Because Jesus is risen, no doubt, no question about that, right? But Jesus could only rise because he died. So I don't mean to be a party pooper, right? I feel like it's a bit of a, like a boo to have Easter Sunday and come back and it's the second Sunday of Easter and more death. But I think it's important. I think we need to continue to speak about Jesus's death. And so that's why we have the two scriptures that we read in John for this Sunday. And I want you to listen to them one more time and thinking about the children's moment, thinking about when Revely read them before. Thinking about the picture on the front of your program. Thinking about this bulletin. As I read um, John 19, 40 through 42, I want you to listen to the words and see if you can get a theme that we're going to have going on this morning. Okay? So John 19, 40 through 42. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices and linen cloths according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified. And in the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, the tomb and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. 
And the story continues, right? We dress up in bright clothes last week and made special food just seven days ago to celebrate the empty tomb once again. All right, and the story keeps continuing on into John chapter 20, where Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb and she discovers it was empty. We know that she ran to get the other disciples and they followed her and they come back and they're searching around too in this garden where there's tombs, who knows all where they looked, the emotions they were feeling, they confirmed the emptiness and then they headed home. But Mary stayed. Mary stayed and she grieved She stayed and she grieved and she spoke to angels that she didn't know were angels. She has this heartbreaking line in verse 13 where she says, They have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. She mourned and she stayed in that garden. And Jesus stood next to her and she didn't know it was him. And he said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? And supposing him to be the gardener, she says to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him and said in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. And to me, these verses are so heavy and full of emotion. Right? We have extreme lows. We have grief despair, remorse, distress. And then at the end, we have this extreme moment in Mary, this extreme moment of joy, astonishment, delight, rejoicing. And as I meditated just upon these four small verses, I noticed something that maybe was a minor detail, but as I kept meditating on these verses, I don't think it's such a small detail anymore. And that is that all these actions, all these emotional highs and lows, they all take place in a garden. And Mary mistakes Jesus for the gardener. And so I started thinking more deeply about gardens, okay? And I think when I say the word garden, you don't have to say anything out loud, but just notice what picture comes into your head. A garden, Some of us may think of green grass and beautiful, colorful flowers and benches with the big tree that's shading it, right? Nobody's ever hot in a garden where we're sitting and it's beautiful. Or maybe we think of fresh and healthy, crunchy fruits and vegetables that are growing, fresh picked in a salad on a summertime picnic table. Gardens don't seem to be places of distress and death. Often they seem to be places of life and color. But gardens have a lot of one particular item in them. And without this item, nothing would happen, nothing would grow, no life could be sustained. So gardens, if you haven't guessed, have lots and lots of dirt, right? Lots and lots of dirt. And so I started thinking about dirt again. And I remember that I read this book about dirt, and the book is also called Surprise dirt. Okay. And it is written by a man who's an author. He's also an arborist and his name is William Bryant Logan. And this book is quite literally all about dirt, soil, earth, mud, muck. It's fascinating. It's one of my favorite books. And there's something in it, in the book, early on in the book that, that he talks about that he's writing about. And it's something that is a part of dirt, but it is not dirt 
although it could be easily confused with dirt. So, unless I'm thoroughly confusing you, if you compost, you may know a little bit of what I'm speaking of. So, is anybody here a good Coloradoan and maybe composts? You don't have to, no judgment if you don't, okay. So there's a few hands, right? Good, good for you. If you want to compost and get inspired, you can come talk to me. I'll tell you all about it. It's really fun, but you don't have to. Anyway, so composting is when we humans, we take old plants, we take all of our old food, right? And we put it in a pile somewhere. Usually it needs some heat, so we usually put it in some place where there's some sun, where we can't smell it. Sometimes it can be kind of smelly, right? And we put it there so that these old plants, this old food can break down, okay? And the breaking down, the final product of compost is something called humus, okay? Please don't ever confuse humus with hummus, right? Hummus, right? Delicious Middle Eastern treat, but they look and taste very differently. So only buy your hummus from the grocery store, get your humus in your garden. So humus is this rotten, sort of floral smelling, and it's really, really, really dark. And it is what's going to be at the bottom of your compost pile, okay? And again, it's an important distinction to make that humus does not refer to the ground itself, okay? Humus refers to the end product of decaying everything, anything. So we humans, we compost our food, our old plants and stuff, but nature is composting all the time. So trees, dead animals, all of that is composting too. So in the end, everything is breaking down into this thing called humus. Okay. So chemists have for over a century tried to answer a seemingly simple question. What is humus? Okay. And the answer is that no one really knows. Now, that seems ridiculous, right? It's 2017, after all. How can we not understand what this kind of dirt-like thing is? It's possible because no two humus molecules are the same, okay? So every time scientists and chemists attempt to break humus down into its basic components, they get acids of a slightly different nature, So you can even grab humus out of the same compost pile side by side, go straight to the lab, and begin to break it down. And scientifically, those two pieces will break down just a little bit differently. So they may share similar properties, but none are exactly the same. They're like snowflakes. They are like human fingerprints. They're like humans. No two pieces of humus are exactly alike. And because scientists can't reduce humus to definitive molecules, there's no way to officially, officially, scientifically say exactly what it is or how it will behave. So in some ways, something as simple as this dirt-type stuff is undefinable. We can understand some of what humus does, right? Without getting too technical, it uses heat and water, and it reuses all of this decaying matter. It helps soil particles stick together, which helps plants thrive in the soil. It also helps soil hold and absorb water, which is also terrific, right? If you're a plant, you need those things. It suppresses and eliminates disease in the soil. It helps keep keep our plants healthy. And 
It resists decay. So scientists have found what they are considering 500-year-old pieces of humus down in the dirt. Okay, so William Bryant Logan, the author of this incredible book, Dirt, he writes that radical disorder is the key to the functions of humus. It may be one of the most disordered materials on this earth. So I know you didn't know you were going to get a science lesson when you came to church this morning, okay? But if you stick with me, I promise that I'm going to connect humus and dirt to our beautiful, risen Lord, Jesus Christ. So, we have humus that I've been telling you about. It's a disordered material that is the result of death and decay, but it itself resists decay. We have plants, animals, humans that have let go of life. They have emptied themselves of life, and they have allowed nature, sun, water, and time to turn them into a disordered, ordered material that will then be used to create thriving life in a new piece of creation. So essentially in humus, we have the product of life emptying itself to create more life. And this is exactly what we celebrated last Sunday. We celebrated the emptying of Jesus onto the cross to create more life in us and for us. And this emptying of Jesus, right, this is the center of his person. Everything in Jesus is filtered through his consistent, continual choice and act of emptying. Jesus emptied himself of God and descended into human form. He emptied himself even further onto the cross, and Jesus emptied himself even further into death. And why? We're going to always ask that question. But like Dale said, I think, I think questions are good. And Jesus, I think, did this, did all this emptying because he was desirous of what the emptiness contained, both for himself and for us. I think that Jesus knew that emptiness, the emptiness he chose, would allow him to hold something new, something more. Now, I think this is a countercultural idea to believe that emptiness can be a container and that emptiness can be a container of value. But I think Jesus was a perfect example over and over again and again of doing life backwards, making choices that seemed upside down and proving over and over again that truth lived in those places, more life lived in these places. But culturally, when I think if we would were to be honest and take a look at our everyday life, We do not like emptiness, right? And I think it's because emptiness, in whatever form we experience it, it feels like suffering to us. I don't think we live out of a place of emptying ourselves. I think most of us live out of of a place of filling ourselves, right? Filling our homes, filling our eyes, filling our minds all the time. We do not seek to be the seed that empties itself into the soil to bloom into a new plant, Right? And, and my impulse is often to be the plant. I want to be the life, right? Blooming and thriving. I want to be that beautiful part of the garden. I don't want to be at the bottom of the compost pile. But remember, that compost pile is crazy alive with all of its radical disorder. Remember, it is so alive that even though the process of decay birthed it, it 
itself resists decay. So early philosophers, doctors, and scientists, they asked a question. And they wondered about many things, but they wondered why corpses, especially diseased corpses, they wondered why they didn't poison the earth where they were buried. Walt Whitman, the poet, wrote, Are they not continually putting distempered corpses within the earth? Is not every continent worked over and over with sour dead? Yet Whitman concluded long before chemists were studying humus that the earth distilled such exquisite winds out of such infused fedor. And long before Whitman, a ninth century Persian physician, Razis, he intuited this true mystery about earth. So wherever this physician went, whenever he was seeking a new site for his hospitals, he would bring along fresh raw pieces of meat with him. And he would bury them at different places and he would measure their rate of decomposition. And wherever the flesh rotted the quickest, that is where he placed his infirmary. And scientists believe that those places, those pieces of earth, are high in penicillium, which is the common soil bacteria from which we get the medicine, penicillin. There is health down in that cold, rotten soil. There is healing. There is medicine down in the dirt And humus, a substance made by death, it sustains life. Emptiness from death sustains and heals us. And do you know what I love? Going back to our scripture that we read this morning, do you know what I love about the conversation between Mary Magdalene and Jesus? I kind of love that she doesn't recognize that it's him. She thinks he's the gardener, right? And she doesn't recognize it's him until he says her name. He calls her by her name, Mary. And then she turns to him and she knows who he is and all that he is. And she calls him Rabuni, which is a personal form of endearment. She could have called him. It would have been very normal, right, for her to call him Rabbi, teacher, master, Those were all great names that he was called, but they were a little bit more on the formal side. So what she called him was a little bit more like calling somebody mommy or mama instead of mother or daddy instead of father. It is descriptive of who Jesus is to her. And I think we have to look at that and we have to begin to be brave enough to start naming things. I think we have to be brave enough to call death what it is. It is emptiness. And in doing that, we can see death for what it really is. It is a container for more life. Easter and all the Easter Sundays after that, they teach us over and over again that as William Bryant Logan writes, graves interrupt the human story. Graves are motherly for the earth. They wrap up the things of time and deliver them back to the cradle so that the show goes on, so that nothing will stop the stories from being told. In this regard, every tomb is empty in the long run. Jesus emptied himself 
to make humus of himself and of us. I think Jesus makes humus out of all things, all the time. See, Mary Magdalene wasn't wrong when she thought he was the gardener. Because he was. He is. Jesus gardens and composts. And when Jesus names things, even graves give birth. I know this is a lot of talk about death and weird facts about dirt and humus. And that might make it weird and hard for some of us. And that's great. That's cool. And I know that emptiness and suffering are hard to talk about. I know they're hard to experience. I also know that without death, without this hardness, we would have no resurrection. Without compost and humus, we would have less healthy plants. And without the bravery to name and experience emptiness, we will not experience Easter Sunday or the second Sunday of Easter or the third Sunday of Easter. And as I said before, Easter is not just a day, right? Easter is a season 50 days at least we need more to experience the mystery of life and death and life and death and life. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for this moment, for death, for humus and dirt and life, and the mystery that it all is. Thank you for the mystery that it is that we all were able to come to this moment together and experience it together. And may we continue to love you and look at each other and share your love with each other. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.